Well, we've made it. Uh, it's always a kind of an exciting feeling, at least for preachers who come to the end of a series and feel like, well, we got it done, accomplished. It is finished after today. Seven weeks on this topic of grace. Remember how we began with that overarching title, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. How not to be a law-abiding citizen. And we've talked about the law and grace as one-way love which is an amazing concept, as we've heard spelled out in some detail from the reading from 1 Corinthians today. An invitation, as Paul says elsewhere, to live a life of love. What marvelous alliteration there. Live a life of love from Ephesians. And so we talked about, well, what does that look like, grace in the church body? What does it look like, grace among our relationships, spouses, children, parents, grandparents, cousins? uncles and aunts and relatives? And what does grace look like in generosity and giving? And what does grace look like at Walmart and Bilo we spoke of a week ago? Live a life of love. And here today is the most daunting title of all, I think, of the series. Grace in everything. Can there be grace in everything? Well, like a lot of truths of Scripture, the answer is not necessarily answered with a simple yes and no or no. In fact, in this case, I would say it's a bit of a complex answer. And the answer, can there be grace in everything? The answer is yes and no. Let's go back to the beginning. Is the law still in place? Jesus said this. Sermon on the Mount. Fifth chapter, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So we understand the law is in place. And in fact, as we ask this question of grace in everything, Dietrich Bonhoeffer tried to articulate this in his great book from the World War II era, a martyr of the church who wrote The Cost of Discipleship, trying to articulate what he made a distinction between cheap grace and costly grace. He says this in a rather profound way. He goes on and on. Really, this is just an extract. Cheap grace, he said, is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today, he continued, for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like shoddy and inferior goods. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of our faith are thrown away at cut prices. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. Jesus already taken care of everything. And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Cheap grace means grace as doctrine, a principle, a system. It means forgiveness of sins proclaimed as a conception of God. No internal personalizing, in other words. An intellectual assent to that idea is held to be of itself, of itself sufficient to secure Remission of sins. Cheap grace means the justification of sin 
without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say. And so everything can remain as it was before. The world goes on in the same old way. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. You see, Dietrich felt very strongly about this. And then he shifts and he says, Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. That's what we've been talking about. Something so beautiful, it can only be described as treasure. So can there be grace in everything? Well, I would offer that the answer might be answered something like this. There is always at least the possibility the potential, and even a probability of grace in everything. And yet it's hard to see that always fulfilled while we live out our lives and lived out through our lives. But I would offer this, that the more grace there is in us and through us and about us, the better the world goes. And we can do this to make a difference in this world We can now ask three questions as we encounter issues of the law and how we respond to a law that has been violated, a curfew, a a late arrival, a contractual agreement. Three questions that we can ask before we act spontaneously. Ask first these three intentional questions. What does the law say? What would grace do? And the third question, what can I do in the power of the Spirit, in love under grace, in this situation or this circumstance? What does the law say? I have a right to do this. But what would grace do? And what can I do, empowered by the Spirit, to exercise a measure of grace in this circumstance? Let me offer one simple illustration, because I've been listening to these sermons as well, whether Tyler was preaching or I was preaching, sometimes the one who needs to hear the sermon the most is the one preaching it, and um, I've been listening, and um, I hope that um, I've been changed by hearing these words. I had an opportunity, though, to see if there had been any change simply right recently in the past week. I had a lunch date. But this, this Wednesday, I'm sorry, on this Thursday, with my brother Craig Barrett, rector of a parish over there towards Edisto, Christ St. Paul's. We agreed to meet in Ravenel some few weeks ago, and we called and confirmed this week that it, we were on for Thursday at 12 o'clock. Ravenel was a 30-mile, 30 30-minute 30 drive for me. It was over halfway. But I'm being graceful about that, right? <laughs> and when I arrived at the stoplight in Ravenel, I called Craig, and his son answered Craig's cell phone. And I had trouble getting through that for a moment because I was expecting 
Craig, but he finally said, uh, I'm answering the phone for my father. He cannot speak, and he's sick and in bed. And uh, so I said, well, would you tell your father I'm here for our lunch appointment? And um, the response was something like, oh, no, um, and uh, I'm so sorry I forgot to tell you I, am, I, I can't come. This was all communicated uh, third party through his son, Jacob. 30-minute drive one way, <laughs> 60 minutes round trip. What does the law say? I have every right to be irritated, upset, and even perhaps unforgiving. And in fact, I kind of like to pull Craig's leg from time to time anyway. This is ample ammunition that will last me for some time, starting right now on how he has ruined my whole day. You know how that goes, right? You, could do, you can get in. What does the law say? I have a right to do this. But I've been listening to these sermons too. And I had an opportunity. The sermons, the thoughts came flowing right out of these sermons, just saying, here's an opportunity. And without skipping a beat, I said, you tell your father it is no problem. And that I hope he feels better. I'm sorry he couldn't make it. I was so proud of myself, I admit it. <laughs> um, my, my wife would tell you, he doesn't do that often enough or something like that. Or my children would. I, I'm, it, I, there's by no means perfection here. But at least on one occasion, after hearing six weeks of sermons on grace, I rose to the occasion. And my intention is to continue by not ever bringing that up. And in fact, 10 or 15 minutes later, I had a text from Greg, hardly repentant, kindly written, and perhaps partly enabled by a kind response towards him. He knew the trouble I'd gone to of that 30-minute drive. Three questions we can intentionally ask when we have these kinds of opportunities. What does the law say? Because we're going to go there anyway. Might as well ask, what does it say? What is my right? Second question, but what would grace do in this situation? And of course, what you're thinking is, can I apply grace here? Is there a way to do it this time? Am I up to it? So the third question is, well, what can I do in the power of the Spirit, in love under grace, in this situation? Well, we've heard a story today on a much, much larger scale. And I want to make reference to it now. I want you to remember the context of this encounter that Peter and Jesus have with the other disciples on the shores. Remember the context. This is after the resurrection, but before the resurrection, remember the context. It's the night of his betrayal. Jesus tells them, this very night you all are going to fall away, you faithful followers. It's written, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered. Peter replies, even if all fall away, I never will. Be careful, of course, when you say never. Someone taught me somewhere along the way never to say never. They'll come back and bite you. Jesus says, Peter, this very night, even before the rooster crows, you will disown me, deny me three times. Peter's even more vociferous. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. It's only a short time later that Jesus leads his disciples towards the Garden of Gethsemane near Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. 
And he tells him, sit here while I go over there and pray. He takes Peter and James and John, kind of the inner circle of the twelve, and takes them with him. And he is weighed down. This is his last night on earth. He knows what's coming. He knows the burden. He already is beginning to feel the weight of the world on his shoulders as he bears the sin of humankind. And he tells him, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. I don't want to be alone, he's saying. Hang with me. He goes a little further. He prays. And he comes back that short distance. They're sleeping. And so he asked Peter, couldn't you watch with me one hour? In my hour of need, couldn't you watch one hour? The spirit's willing. The body is sure weak. He's arrested. He's taken into Jerusalem. He's set in a courtyard where judges, judgments are made. Peter, no doubt, trying to keep a low profile, but he makes his way there and he's in the courtyard and a servant girl comes up to him and says, you were with Jesus of Galilee too. Peter denies it. I don't know what you're talking about. He goes out to the gateway trying to get a little removed from this. But another girl sees him there and says to him, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth too. He denies it again. This time he swears with an oath. I don't know the man. I swear I don't know the man. On oath, I don't know the man. A little later, those standing near there go up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. You've got that accent that gives you away. It's that Galilean fisherman's kind of brogue. He begins to call down curses on himself and he swears to them again, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crows. Peter remembers. Before the rooster crows, Peter, you will disown me three times. Is there any grace to be offered here? Any forgiveness? What would the law do with such betrayal? Peter goes outside. Always think of that man weeping bitterly. You can see a man weeping bitterly, convulsed, shoulders, tears flowing. It's a deep, deep sadness and sorrow. The three days pass. Jesus appears to his disciples as risen Lord. We hear today the story of his third appearance. Keep in mind in all the resurrection stories, as Jesus meets with those who betrayed him, perhaps you might say were the worst betrayers because they were the closest to him, the loyalists. Never a word of law, never a word to them of ought to or should have or anything like that. Always he appears in grace. But there's some unfinished business on this third appearance. He and Peter have some personal work to do. In grace, he has served them that delicious fish and chips meal. They finish eating. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, his other name, son of John, his name of origin. Jesus gave him the name Peter, Petros, rock. Do you truly love me more than these 
maybe he's talking about the disciples, but maybe he's pointing at the boats and his fishing tools, his nets, and all those fish he's caught, his material stuff, all the stuff of the world that tempts us and allures us. Do you love me truly more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. One of the denials has been erased. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In other words, Peter, I want you to be shepherd to my sheep. Feed my lambs. And a second denial is erased by God's grace. The third time he says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt, grieved, because Jesus asked him the third time. Not grieved or hurt at Jesus, feeling the sorrow of his own errors, of his ways, his own betrayal, his own sin. He felt the pain again of just a few days before when he went out and wept bitterly. There's a cleansing going on here, and Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. The three denials erased by God's grace in the love of Jesus. I have a question for you. If Jesus will do this for Peter, What do you think he will do for you? Any less? He said once to a large crowd, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. For your soul, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Paul, perhaps in a moment of inspiration, finishes one of his letters in this way. Second Corinthians, he says, The grace, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We hear it all the time as a word of uh, blessing to a congregation or to a people gathered. But notice an interesting twist and subtle twist there. We normally think of that Trinitarian picture of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We hear it often spoken that way or reference made to the Father, even in the scriptures as first and foremost. But here at the end of this letter, Perhaps in that troubled Corinthian church, they particularly need to hear this in a particular order, as we do sometimes, as all, at, at times also. And Paul writes, first, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Did you know That if you were to read the Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books of the Bible, that the last word that Scripture has on the subject of itself, God's word, 
the last verse of the last chapter of the last book, the book of Revelation, the Bible ends this way. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And then he concludes, the author of Revelation, John, Amen. So be it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people to receive it like Peter, yes, and to give it like Jesus, yes, to the world. So they got it right in the 16th century when they brought us back to the center of the gospel, the heart of the gospel. Martin Luther, salvation, rescue, our well-being, however you, wholeness, however you want to embrace that word salvation in all its fullness, Salvation is by grace alone, pure gift. Paul, Peter could not have earned his way back into Jesus' good graces. Jesus' good graces welcomed Peter back into relationship. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Yes, when we respond, by Jesus Christ alone. So I asked you a minute ago, if Jesus will do this for Peter, what do you think he will do for you? Any less? Come to me, Jesus said, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. How not to be a law-abiding citizen. citizen. Grace is one-way love. Grace is pure gift. Grace is pure grace. Let me end this morning with an invitation. If the words of the scripture have spoken to you today, if you want to receive Jesus into your life for the first time, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. Or if you want to confirm your life in Jesus, this gospel of grace, I'm going to invite you to have that confirmed right now. And it usually helps to do some kind of active step to do that rather than just sitting back but responding. So anyone who, first of all, wants to give their life to Jesus today in faith, receive this gospel of grace, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Um, That's a huge act of courage. That's risk-taking, but I'm going to invite you to come forward at this communion rail. And first of all, simply ask anyone who says, today is the first day of the rest of my life because today I became a Christian. Is there anyone here who wants to do that and is called to do that, who needs to do that? I'm going to wait a moment, let that settle on your heart, and just see if the, the answer is yes, and if so, break the chains of that chair and the glue that's got you glued to it and come on forward right now.
Well, let's uh, begin with Bob and Bucky. Is there anyone else? Anyone? And Bob and Bucky, if I can simply walk you through this uh, step-by-step commitment of A, B, C, D, something to admit. Uh, Do you, my brothers, admit your need of God for your life? And you believe that Jesus died for your sins and offers himself in love on the cross and is there to receive you into his life in grace. And Bucky and Bob, this day, in whatever way you've done it in the past, but this day, will you consider giving the whole of your life to the Lord Jesus as your Savior and Lord? And so are you willing today to decide for Jesus? lead you in a prayer that you offer to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your love and grace. And just say those words after me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your love and grace. And thank you for the gift of the cross that has given me salvation. And now, Lord, I lay down my life And I give my heart and soul and body to you in love and service. All that I am and all that I have, I offer to you in gratitude for what you have given to me. And today I say, yes, Lord Jesus. you all would remain right here. And if there's anyone else who wishes to recommit their lives, I invite you to come forward at this time and join these brothers. stand behind the rail if there's not room at the rail to kneel. And I ask you as well, brothers and sisters, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you receive all his grace and love? And do you want to follow him as your Savior and as your Lord? He's the boss. And from this day forward, will you commit the whole of your life, your body, your soul, your spirit, all that you are and all that you have, will you commit it to the Lord's ministry and service? Hallelujah. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, may your spirit fall in a permanent abiding way upon these who have stood before your throne of grace with humble and penitent hearts to be received into the fullness of life with you in the power of your Holy Spirit, to minister and to witness and testify, to love and serve in grace.
We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you all will remain here while we enjoy the peace, you can enjoy the peace with one another and uh, also return to your chairs. Let's all stand for the peace. Brothers and sisters, the peace of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit always be with you.